Joseph, um, Joseph lived this, this like a boss life, following after Jesus or following after God, uh, the Father. And he did it in spite of terrible circumstances, terrible uh, situations in his life. He was put into slavery. He was put into prison. He was unfairly persecuted, and he continued to follow God. But the one thing he did not have, the one thing that he lacked was community. Joseph was alone. Now, Joseph didn't uh, intend on being alone. It wasn't his fault that he got sold into slavery. It wasn't his fault that his brothers betrayed him. But what happened is that he ended up in a foreign land. And this was before we had the Bible. This was before Jesus came. This was before we had churches worldwide, before we had the internet, before we had anything. So when he got sent to this land, he was all alone. There was no chance for him to like plug into a local church or anything like that. So he was completely alone. But But we see that he valued community. How do we see that? We see it because as soon as his brothers came back, even after all the things they did to him and the way they betrayed him, he forgave them. If he didn't value community, he wouldn't have forgiven them. And furthermore, he invited his whole family to come with him. He invited his father and the cousins and the aunts and the uncles. And he said, I want you to all come and live with me because I need community. I need other people that are following after God to to, to kind of walk through this uh, through this uh, road of life with me. And so he valued community. We see that in Joseph's story. And the truth is, we all need community. We were created for community. We were created for relationships. Furthermore, uh, we need it, like scientifically need it. You know, like if a baby isn't touched, isn't loved, that's a problem. That's a problem, like biologically for a baby. We need relationships. And if you, and besides just needing it, besides needing it and being creative for it, we want them. We value them. That's why we, we make such a big deal about dating, why we make such a big deal about finding someone to marry, finding someone to date, finding someone to go to a, a prom or a dance with, because we value relationships. This is why dating websites make millions and millions and millions of dollars, because people value relationships. They want to meet each other. They want to get to know each other, and they want to cut through all the crap of the regular world and just meet people that have something to do with them, that, that they can have a connection with. We value it. This is why um, if you've ever been to like a high school football game, especially around here, um, the, the, the couple that I've been to, the couple of different schools I've been to, no one really pays attention to the game. Why? Because they don't really care about the football. They care about the community. You got old people talking to old people. I don't even know why the old people are at the game. You got the parents talking to the parents. And every once in a while, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you did good. You did good. And then they just go back to talking to another mom. You got kids hanging out with other kids. You got students talking with each other. And sure, they paint their bodies and they act like they care. But the, the truth is, for the most part, people are just there for community. That's why people tailgate. It's not because the weather's so great, because usually it's not. It's not because the food's so great, because a lot of times it's just cold and, and, and mediocre public fried chicken. The truth is, they want to hang out with their friends. They want to talk about the game. They want to get to know each other. I would make an argument, even that, and, and hopefully, um, to a certain degree, you don't understand this, uh, this illustration, but even like the beach bars and the bars that people go to all the time, or these festivals and stuff, people don't really go to them because of um, how beautiful the buildings are. They don't really go because um, of how great the, the live entertainment is. A lot of times it's just kind of a, a cruddy local band that's only been together for like a year and they're not that great. They don't go because there's some great sound system or there's some great entertainment that they can't find anywhere else. They don't even go because they live next to it. Um, because most of them come from, from in town or from uh, people, places that they have to drive to get here. And even, they don't even come for alcohol, because the truth is, they could go somewhere else and get alcohol. The reason they go to bars, the reason they go to festivals, the reason why thousands of people flock to these places is relationships. They want to meet people. They want to get to know people. They want to hang out with their boys. They want to go dancing with their girls. They want to do all these things together, because people need community. We care about 
community. And the truth is, this is the first thing in your notes, we aren't meant to follow Jesus alone. We need each other. Jesus. We're not meant to follow Jesus alone. We need each other. We're getting, we're getting a little bilingual tonight. We aren't meant to follow Jesus alone. We need each other. Open up to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. It's up there on the screen, but I'd love for you to go to the page and read it for yourself. Keep in mind, if you don't have a Bible, you can have one of ours um, and take it home and read it. Don't take one every week, though. Take one and, uh, and keep it and don't lose it. So this is, a, this is a scripture that talks about community. And there's a lot in the New Testament about community. So we're going to read Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And this is written to a, a group of Jewish believers. This is written uh, very uh, soon after Christ ascended into heaven, after he was crucified and resurrected. And there are people that are following after Jesus, but they're being persecuted. These people are being persecuted because they are different than the other Jews. They are doing something different, and they're being pushed aside. They're being uh, just like slandered. They're being beat up, all that kind of stuff, because they believe in Jesus. And so they're kind of on the fence. They're like, why should I believe in this guy if, if all this bad stuff's going to happen? So he's giving them a call to persevere, to continue, to fight on. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that is talking about Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So because we have Jesus, we can go straight to God. And then this is like the, the advice that the writer gives these people that are being persecuted, that need help. And they're like, what can we do? This is the answer, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, encouraging one another, and all the more As you see the day approaching, the day approaching that they are referring to is the day when Jesus will come back. And nobody knows when it's going to happen, but we know that every day we're one day closer, right? That's just common sense. Every day we're one day closer. So what it's saying is forever and ever keep doing these things. And so this verse gives us three things that we need to do. The first thing is we need to consider how to love, how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This idea of considering is not just like, okay, I'm just going to do it. It's thinking about it, being creative, uh, thinking about different ways and, and really like spending time and thought of how we can make our friends, our life groups, the people that are close to us, closer to Jesus, how we can spur them on towards Christ. And you know that spurs on a cowboy's boots are these sharp little circle things. And what do they do? They kick the side of the horse. And it doesn't necessarily feel great for the horse, but it gets them to go where they wouldn't go otherwise. And that's a role that we can play in each other's life. But a very important word is that one another word. The, the word, the original Greek word for it is alelone. Everybody say alelone. Alelone means um, one another, obviously, but there's another meaning, and it is mutually. Mutually. So what it means is that I don't just influence one other person, but they influence me back. We have this like this reciprocating uh, relationship where we kind of mutually push each other towards Jesus. This term is used 58 times in the New Testament. 58 times you've heard it said, serve one another, serve a lay loan, uh, love one another. 
All these one another's are in the Bible. Jesus used them repeatedly because it's such an important idea that we mutually push each other towards Christ. The second thing it says is do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So there's this idea that people just kind of got tired of church in the year 2000. Like they just started kind of kind of keeping themselves away from church in the year 2000. But the truth is, just years after Jesus died and resurrected, after people saw him come back to life, people were already saying, I don't need to meet. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to meet with other believers. I don't really need that. I have Jesus, and I, and I have my kind of stuff together. But the truth is, the truth is, we... We don't have to go to church. You're right. Those people that say that, um, that say, I can be saved, I can have a relationship with Jesus without anyone else, they're right in a way. Because the truth is you can have salvation in Christ. You can be forgiven and loved and spend eternity in heaven without spending a minute serving someone, without spending a minute in life groups, without spending a minute in church. But the Bible says you're not really going to grow that way. And you're sure as heck not going to have any influence on anyone that way. And so it says, don't give up meeting together. And again, if people were doing it 10 years after Christ, after they saw Christ resurrected, then of course people are going to do it today. But the truth is that it hurts us when we do that. It hurts us because here's the second thing in your notes. We can't separate Christ from the church. You can't separate Christ from... From the church. I've heard so many people, and it's one of the most frustrating things because it's just not biblical and it's just not true. I've heard so many people say, I don't need church. I'm not going to go to church. The church is corrupt. The church doesn't have anything good. And the truth is, churches aren't perfect. You'll never find a perfect church. The church has made mistakes throughout the past 2,000 years because the church is full of people. People that aren't perfect. In this room, we have people that do drugs. We have people that drink. We have people that have sex. We have people that cuss. We have people that don't read their Bible. We have people that don't that skip out on church for ridiculous reasons. We have people that are mean to their parents. We have people that don't do their homework. We have people that are uh, rude to other people, that exclude other people. We have all those people in this room, and that's okay. The minute we're perfect is the minute we don't need to have a church. Is the minute we don't need a Savior. But we're going to keep on meeting together because we're not perfect, and we need to go towards Jesus. We need to worship Jesus. And Jesus said that the church would be the way he'd reach all the people of the world, and the church would be his bride. That the church, uh, Jesus would basically be married to the church, the community of believers. So you can't separate Christ from the church. Do not give up meeting together. The third thing he says is encourage each other. Lift each other up. There are times where you need someone to lean on. You need someone to help prop you up when things are tough, because life gets tough. So he says, encourage each other. And the Bible is very clear that we need community. It's clear from the very beginning. If you turn over to Genesis 1, 26, Genesis 1, 26, it's describing the creation account. It's describing the creation account, and there's some interesting wording that we see in it. It says, then God said, so he's created a few things, and then he says, he's about to make mankind. He says this, let, what's that next word? Us. Us, if you uh, have spent any time in English, you realize that us is a plural word. It refers to more than one. He didn't say let me. He says let us. And then he'll go ahead and repeat himself. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because from the very beginning of time, from infinity years ago, before there, there really was no beginning, 
God existed in three parts, in three distinct people. One God, three people. We could spend years and years and years talking about the theology of it. But the truth is, it was God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And they were in community before we ever existed. They were loving each other. They were serving each other. They were respecting each other. They were enjoying each other's company. They were laughing together. They were just enjoying how great and glorious they were as the God of all the universe. And they decided, we want more community. We want more relationship. So we're going to create people. We're going to create people, and they're going to be in community with us. And so they had the Garden of Eden. They had Adam and Eve. And they say Adam and Eve lived face-to-face with God. They walked around with them in the cool of the day. They'd pick fruit with them. They'd they'd hang out with, like, lions, and lions wouldn't attack them. It it was just great. They'd kind of, like, just kind of lay and and cuddle with lions and tigers and all that kind of stuff. And it's just an amazing, amazing time in history. And so um, that's what... That's what God created us for, was this face-to-face. But then we all know the story. Adam and Eve mess up. They get sent out, and there's this block of relationship between God and people. And notice how, Jesus, or how God re, re, uh, reestablishes his relationship with people. He doesn't do it through rules. He doesn't through it, do it through religion. He doesn't do it through church attendance. He does it through a relationship. He sends his son so that we can have a relationship with him. And through that relationship, we can have a relationship with God and be reestablished in community with him. So community was part of the plan from the very beginning. And then we see uh, thousands of years later, we see Jesus and he goes around and he knows community is important too. So when he starts his ministry, what does he do? He goes and he finds 12 disciples. And these disciples weren't special, they weren't, uh, they weren't the best people, they were just mostly young teenage guys, maybe early 20s. Most of them were basically just, uh, just seen as like trash, tax collectors, trash, um, fish, fisher of, uh, fish, fishing, what? what am I saying, fishermen, I can't even talk, fishermen, and, uh, and the fishermen were considered just kind of, you know, whatever. These guys were just normal dudes, and so he picks them because he knows that he needs community, and community comes in smaller groups. Now, he had thousands of followers. We see that he feeds 5,000, which was really more probably like 10 to 12 to 15,000. We see that thousands of people came and saw um, him do these miracles, but he had 12 disciples because he knew that he needed community, and that community was going to change the world. Those 12 men changed the world, and they were the model for our life groups. If you notice, uh, if you've been part of this church for any amount of time, you know that in big church, um, we have life groups for adults. In uh, Beach Kids, we have life groups for our kindergartners. We have life groups even for our, our pre-Ks all the way up through fifth grade. And then in this student ministry, we have life groups. We divide them by gender and, uh, and grade so that you can be with people that are, uh, relate to you, that are in the same stage of life. And we have life group leaders that lead you through it. And it's basically going after the model that Jesus set where he said, I'm the life group leader. And I got these life group members, and we're going to do this thing together. We're going to eat together. We're going to travel together. We're going to work together. We're going to do ministry together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to cry together. We're even going to get in fights together, but we're going to be together. And so we call the 12 disciples, and that's the model for our life group. So what I want to do is spend the rest of the time encouraging you and telling you why you need to be in life groups, why you need to be in life groups. Some of you are already in life groups. Some of you aren't. Um, For those of you who are, this can be a reminder because sometimes we forget. It just becomes like a like a tradition, oh, I'm just going to go to life groups, but we forget why we're doing it, and it's important to remember. So here are some, uh, some ways you can just kind of write in whatever you want, whatever sticks out to you. 
But here are some of the things that life groups do. I want to convince you as to why life groups are necessary for us to grow in faith. The first thing is it turns acquaintances into family. It turns acquaintances into family. Many people come and they say, well, it's kind of hard because, you know, United, there's like a lot of people and I kind of feel lost. And maybe a lot of people, I know their name, but I'm not really friends with them. I'm not really close to them. But what life groups do is they turn acquaintances into family. You go from maybe 150 to 225 people down to maybe 10 to 15 or maybe even like 6 or 7. And what happens? You get to know those people well. You get to know them intimately. You get to share secrets. You get to share experiences. You go on mission trips together. You share struggles. You share, you share sins. You share uh, wins and, and exciting things. Together. You share all these things and you become family. And we always say that United is family, and it is. It's kind of like when you go to a family reunion, and you've got like aunts and uncles and cousins, you got second cousins and third cousins, and you got like a stepsister and a half-brother, and you got like kind of like a second cousin, twice removed, or whatever that means. You got all these people together, and that's kind of like your extended family. That's what United is. But your direct family, like your brothers and your sisters and your mom and your dad, that's your life group. So it turns acquaintances, when you come in here and you just see a big room full of people, into friends, into family, into people that you're close to. The second thing it does is it turns a sermon into a conversation. I've had people come up, well-meaning students come up to me over the years and say, uh, Ryan, uh, you know, like we talked about what you talked about on Sunday. So like, uh, did you mess up? Like, was that, a, was that a mistake? And I'm like, no, you know, we've... We, we mean to do that. We haven't been making mistakes for the past 10 years. We mean to do that. We mean to have us talk about what we talked about on Sunday. Why? Because on a sermon, whoever's preaching, whether it's me or Cole or, or anyone, we preach to you and you listen and you take it in. But you don't get a chance to talk about it. You don't, don't get a chance to ask questions. That's what happens in a life group. You turn that, that sermon into a conversation. Now you're talking about what are your questions? How does it apply to your life? What's going on in your life that relates to the scripture, relates to what you talked about? What, what, what things are you struggling with? How do you apply it to your life? What, what are some questions that you can ask uh, your, your life group leaders are about? Or how can you share knowledge? Some people in your life group know a lot. Some don't, don't know as much. And you can share knowledge. You can share experiences. You share that community. And it turns a sermon into a conversation. The third thing it does is it provides accountability. Now, a lot of people don't like accountability. A lot of people are like, yeah, I'd rather not uh, be told that something's wrong. I'd rather not be told that maybe I shouldn't go down that path. But the Bible is very clear that accountability is needed. We need to be shown when we have a blind spot. If, for any of you who drive, you know that as you try to get over in a lane, um, especially like if you're going on like a highway or something, you're going to be looking into your rearview mirror and your side mirror. And your rear view mirror shows exactly what's behind you. Your side view mirror will show what's to the side of you. But there's something that we call a blind spot. And that's an area that is not seen between the two mirrors. Now, you can't see it, but someone else can easily see it. And that's why when you're getting over into a lane, you might hear a loud honk. And then you realize, and you jerk back over and you realize, oh my gosh, I almost got in a car wreck. Because the other person could see what you could not see. They saw the blind spot. They saw what was going on and that you were about to make a big mistake. You're about to get in a car accident. So we need accountability for those blind spots in our life. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, many of you know this verse, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, if you've seen iron sharpening iron, sparks fly. Sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes it, it, it might hurt if, if the iron was a person. It would, it would hurt that person because it'd be two sharp things rubbing against each other. And sometimes that's how it is with accountability doesn't necessarily feel good, 
But as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need accountability. We need people to show us kind of where we're messing up. And there have been times in my life where I needed to hear someone tell me something or else I was just going to keep on doing it. And, and, and maybe I was lying to myself. Maybe I was just rationalizing it. But I needed someone to come in that loved me and say, hey, you know you're doing this. And I don't know if you mean to be doing it, but you should probably stop. Or you should probably think about the direction you're going. Here's the, third, uh, the fourth thing that a life group can do for you, why you need to be in a life group. It provides support. It provides support. That, that scripture talked about how we should encourage each other in Hebrews. That scripture said, encourage one another. It provides support. I'll tell you a story. In college, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was dating a girl. It was my freshman, sophomore year of college. And uh, we'd been dating for a while. It was the second time we had dated. And we broke up. And the breakup wasn't a big deal. Um, like, I was okay with it. And uh, actually, I was the one that was like, okay, let, let's, let's break it off. But, um, but when uh, a couple weeks later, very shortly thereafter, and you know, you always have kind of the ending conversations with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You're like, well, like, what about this? Like, is there kind of a one in a million chance we could get back together? And uh, like, what, what's going to happen in the future? And are you looking to date? And you're kind of trying to get a gauge of where they're at. So we had all those conversations. And um, it was made clear to me that that was not the case. They were, they were going to kind of, they were like, oh, I need to be alone for a while. So two weeks later, I find out that they're, dating someone else. Now, the breakup didn't bother me, but that devastated me. That bothered me because now I saw I had been lied to. I saw that the person that I really cared about was just going some other direction with someone they hardly even knew, and that really bothered me. And I remember it was a Friday night. I was at FSU, and and I found out that night um, that it was happening. And I remember one of my best friends a guy that was in my wedding named Ryan Kinder, a guy that had been in life groups with me in, in student ministry, life groups, and Bible study with me at FSU, all that, he was there with me. And he saw that <clears throat> I, was, I was kind of not in a, in a very good place and that I was uh, really emotional about it. And so what he did is he said, forget my plans tonight, forget what I'm doing. And he said, I'm just going to sleep over. I'm just going to sleep on your floor, and I'm just going to kind of talk to you and hang out with you. And, and what did that mean? That meant support for me. I could have gone home alone and like cried myself to sleep or something or, and just been so upset and devastated alone. But I had a life group member who loved me and supported me enough to say, I'll sleep on your floor with, 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 a, with a blanket, uh, just on the carpet with a pillow, and I'll just kind of talk you to sleep and I'll just be there for you because I love you. I'm your friend. I'm there for you. So it provides support. The last thing is it will take your faith to the next level. It will take your faith to the next level. If any of you are into working out or you've uh, ever had like a workout partner for sports, basketball, football, whatever it is, or running, you know that when you have a partner, it can do more for you than if you don't. A partner provides accountability. You can't just not show up at the gym if your partner is going to meet you there. A partner can, uh, if you're about to do a rep, and usually you would just kind of quit at 10, but if you have a partner, they'll, they'll spot you, and they'll help you get two or three more reps. They'll talk you through it. They'll pump you up. A, a, a partner helps you get further than you would go before. And, and if you're with a partner that's stronger than you, or better at basketball, better at soccer, that, that runs a faster mile than you, if you spend time training with them, you challenge yourself to keep up. Now you're not just alone, just kind of doing your own thing. I'll just quit when I want to quit. You're pushing yourself to match up with them. And just like that, life groups will take your faith to the next level. You'll be with other people that are chasing after Jesus. You'll be with other people that are like, why weren't you there? Where were you? What, what, what are you doing? Are you doing your quiet time? Are you doing, are, are you doing, uh, are you having prayer time? Are you going to church? What, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And they are keeping you accountable. They are keeping up with you. They are kind of spotting you through life. And so it'll take your faith to the next level. And the way, um, the, the way I kind of want to close is I want to give advice for life groups. 
For the rest of you that, that, that are in life groups, maybe you go once a month, maybe you go every week. But I want to give you advice, and these are kind of the, the, the top tips I have from life group leaders coming to me and saying, um, hey, this is what's going on in our life group, and, and, and can we get some advice on this? These are kind of like the biggest things that I notice in our life groups, grades 6 through 12, boys and girls. So here's the advice for your life groups as you, as you go through life together. You don't have to be best friends. Everybody say that with me. We don't have to be best friends. There's a reason we don't call these BFF groups or friend groups. They are life groups. We are going to live our lives together. We are going to pursue the life of Jesus together. These are not best friend groups. These are not social groups. You don't have to be best friends. And I think some of us misunderstand that. And then when we're not best friends with everybody in our group, we quit going because we're like, well, well, I'm not a part of the group. Or maybe when, when we see that three or four people over here are friends, and three or four people over there group, we say, well, it's clicky, it's divided. No, that's just normal relationships. That's okay. You, you can't expect your life group to be your best friend group. If you look at the disciples, even Jesus had an inner circle. It was James, John, and Peter. And, and there's a lot of guys we never hear about. Like, do you ever talk about Bartholomew in church? No, we don't talk about Bartholomew because Bartholomew obviously wasn't part of the inner circle. He was just kind of like one of the guys. And, and, and sometimes we're just going to be one of the people in our life group. But I can bet you that Bartholomew brought a whole bunch of people to Christ. I can bet you that Bartholomew started churches. I can bet you that Bartholomew was held accountable by Jesus. He had a relationship with Jesus. He had a relationship with these guys. He grew from it because he was a part of the group. And, and the truth is, if we just randomly say, all the sixth grade girls are going to be together, you're not all going to be best friends. All the 12th grade boys, y'all are all going to be together. You're not all going to be best friends. That's okay. Stop, stop expecting that. My life group, my adult life group, some of us kind of hang out on the weekends, some of us don't. But I can tell you what we do. Um, every Thursday, we get together and we talk about Jesus. And we challenge each other and we read scripture because we are in a life group together. And we love each other and we respect each other but we don't expect that we're all going to be best friends. So stop putting that, 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 that load on your group because that's not, that's not the purpose. In fact, you can have your best friends at school or in another grade or in your family or in your neighborhood, but you can still have your life group that helps you grow towards Jesus, that you love and respect each other. The next thing is it's not about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. And turn to your other neighbor and say, it's not about you. It's not about you. Here's what this means. Here's what this means. What this means is that we're not the only ones. Hey, hey, listen, 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 listen. We are not the only ones in our life group. The life group is not just about us. I've heard many people say, well, I'm not really getting anything out of life group, so I'm not going to go anymore. Well, here's what happens when you say that. First of all, whenever we get the chance to read scripture, we're changed. Whenever we get the chance to talk about Jesus, we're changed, even if we don't realize it. But, but, there may be seasons where you don't feel like you're really getting that, that extra emotional push from life groups. And that's okay. You're going to have seasons where you feel like you're growing a lot. You're going to have seasons where you don't feel like you're growing so much. But the life group is not all about you. Because here's what happens when it's all about you. You say, I don't feel like going tonight, and you don't go. Well, guess what happens? Let's say a new person comes that week, and they, they lack hearing your story. They don't get to hear that you have the same thing going on in your life that they have going on in their life. And now they lost out on something because it was all about you that week and you just stayed home. They didn't get to hear um, your knowledge of a certain scripture. They didn't get to hear your experience with a certain relationship or a certain problem that could have benefited them. And so they leave feeling just kind of 
like it was a it was just a a, a cheap experience, an experience that didn't they didn't really get much out of, and they could have felt very built up and very encouraged, but it was all about you, so you just didn't show up. It's not about you. It's not um, it's not all about you growing. You can speak something into your life group members. Lives. Think about when three or four of you are like, hey, we're not going to go tonight. Hey, let's just go all hang out together. And there's two people at life groups. Let's, let, let's just imagine a situation. Now a new student comes in. And they come and they say, well, I thought, I thought life groups were like a big deal. Why are there only two people here? And it's kind of quiet and there's not much going on. And then they say, well, I'm not going back to life groups because no one's there. And if you had been there, if it had not been about you that week, if you had not been selfish that week and you had thought about someone else in your life group, You could have had a chance of bringing someone else into the fold, into the family of Beach Student Ministries. But they missed out and you missed out because it was all about you that night. Life groups aren't all about you. You can do something for other people that they can't do for themselves. And so we need to know, even if we're not growing, other people can be growing. A couple more things. Be real and trust each other. Be real and trust each other. I've heard so many groups where they're scared to be real with each other. They're scared to talk about the issues. They're scared to talk about their parents' divorce. They're scared to talk about their, their, their brother that's an alcoholic. They're scared to talk about the fact that they feel lonely or they feel depressed or they feel um, <clears throat> like they want to hurt themselves. They feel scared to ask questions. They feel scared to doubt things that are in the Bible and be like, well, I don't get that. Why do they feel that way? Because we're just scared to be real sometimes. We're scared to be vulnerable. We don't want to put ourselves out there. But the truth is, if you don't get real, there's really no point of having a group. You're going to keep meeting, you're going to talk, you're going to be surfacy, and then you're going to leave, and everyone's going to leave having not been changed. But if you're real, you have the opportunity to have conversations, the opportunity to have tears, the opportunity to have laughter, the opportunity to get into each other's business, into each other's lives, and really grow, really sharpen each other. And you can't sharpen each other if you're, if you're trying to sharpen iron from like two feet away. There's no, there's no friction. There's no growth because you're just, you're, you're, you're leaving so much space in between you. It's like there's a circle and then there's one gap in it because that person's not being honest and the circle's not complete. And there's not this complete life group because people aren't real. And the reason we're not real is because we don't trust each other. And I get that. I get that there's people in your group that are gossipers. I get that. I get that there's people in your group that you're afraid are going to tell somebody, that you're afraid are going to burn you because you admitted something in group. Well, here's your choice. You can either be scared and spend the next seven or eight or seven years or three years or whatever you have left in life groups and student ministries not saying anything and not growing and not being a real group and getting real, or you can take a risk. You can take a risk. You can give that person a chance. And guess what? What if they let you down one time? Well, then you confront them, and then you learn something, and they learn something. They learn that they can't just go around gossiping over, uh, about people and telling people if they want to be part of a real community where people trust them. And then you might bring your life group leader into it. You might bring me into it or whatever, and we find a solution, and we have healing. But if you never do anything from the outset, well, there's going to be no growth. It's just fake. You're just getting together for no reason. You're basically just a social group. And that's the next thing in the notes is as an advice for life groups, it's not a social hour. Don't make it a social hour. Because if it's a social hour, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get to the point at some point in your life where you aren't all best friends, where you aren't all in the same social circles, where you don't all go to the same school. And when that happens, your life group will fall apart. Why? Because your life group was built on social Your life group was built on friend groups. Your life group was built on talking about junk from your life. Your life group was just built around just kind of having this 
oh, let's have just fun time, and we'll talk about, you know, what was going on in our lives, and we'll talk about our friends, and we'll laugh about boys or girls, and all that kind of stuff, and, and that, that's all we'll do. And your life group will fall apart, because it's not built on Jesus, it's built on being social. But guess what? If your life group is built on Jesus, I've seen senior groups and junior groups that um, they, don't, they don't have anything in common anymore. In 7th or 8th grade, they were all like close-knit best friends. By the time they're in 11th or 12th grade, they, they don't play the same sports. They don't have the same friends. They don't go to the same schools. But why are they still one of the strongest groups in our student ministry? It's because they based their group on Jesus. They talked about Jesus. They learned about Jesus. They had conversations about Jesus. They prayed together. They laughed together. They cried together. So don't let your life group be a social hour. And it's not just your group leader's responsibility. It's your responsibility too. You'll see one day if you ever lead a group, you'll see how hard it is to try to lead a group and keep them on track. And you guys need to be a part of the solution. It's not just a social hour. Here's the last thing. I want you to be committed. This goes along with the it's not about you deal. I want you to be committed. We have many people um, in our student ministry that are signed up for life groups, that are plugged into life groups, and they never show up. They might show up once a month. Maybe they skip a couple months. Maybe they're every other week, that kind of deal. But I'm calling you, especially as we get to the end of the year, to be committed. Be committed to your group. Because, again, when you're not there, it costs the entire group. And guess who is committed? Your life group leaders are committed. Your life group leaders are there every week. They're there when their head hurts. They're there when their, their husband or their wife made food for them, and they say, you're going to have to eat alone tonight because, remember, I had life groups. They're there when they come straight from work. They're there when they don't, have, they don't feel good. They're there when things are going on in their own personal life that they need to deal with. They're there. They're committed to you guys. So how can we say, I don't feel like going? I don't feel like, like showing up tonight. I don't feel like um, being there. I'm just going to take a nap, and if I don't wake up, I won't wake up. I, I'm just going to play video games and kind of just waste the night away because, you know what, I don't feel like going this week. I'm calling you guys to be committed. Be committed to the group you're in. Be committed to each other. Be committed to your life group leader. Be committed to Jesus because that is what it is all <clears throat> about. And if you're not there, you're missing out on something. And some of us say, oh, well, I don't feel close to my life group. Well, you're not going to feel closer to your life group by not showing up. That's just the truth. I know that might, you might not like that, and that I said that. You might say, well, you don't get my situation. Well, I can tell you that you won't grow closer if you don't show up. You have to be there to grow closer to Jesus and to grow closer to each other. Be committed to your group. Be committed to your group. And here's the last thing, and it's not in your notes, but I want you to write this down. Groups will multiply your growth. Groups will multiply your growth. Yes, you could grow without a group. You can grow without the church. You can grow without community. But the difference between um, you growing on your own and you growing within a group, within a community, within a church that worships together and strives to be like Jesus together and serves together is like the difference between pushing a car and driving a car. Yeah, you're going to move somewhere, but it's going to be a lot slower than if you were to do it as a family. So groups multiply your growth. So here's how I want you guys to respond. Um, if you are not in a life group, we're not going to call you up here. We're not going to ask you to raise your hand. We're not going to do something to, to, to really call you out. I just want you 
to, uh, to fill out a card. If you felt called to be in a life group, and I hope that God has worked on your heart, there are uh, prayer cards in front of you. And on the prayer card, you can put your name, your, uh, your age, your grade, um, your contact information. And there's a little thing on the side that just says, I am interested in life groups. All I want you to do is write your name, put your number down, and say, I'm interested in a life group. And then come and put it in the box as we, uh, as we finish up our time here together, as we sing some songs together, as the band leads us. And, um, and we will get in contact with you this week. No pressure, nothing crazy. I'm just going to text you or call you and say, hey, man, I'd like to get you into a group. Here's the information. Here's your life group leader's information. I'd love you to show up. And I'd ask you to do something. Don't just fill out a card and then, and then not answer the text or not answer the call. Actually give it a try. Take a step of faith and give it a try. And then for everybody else, I know the majority of the people in this room are probably in some way plugged into a life group. And maybe one thing in this sermon stuck out to you, whether it was be committed, whether it was not, it's not about you, whether it was accountability, whether it was, um, it was, it was uh, being real and trusting each other and being honest. Whatever it is, I want you to pray over that thing. And there's a few different ways you could respond. You could say, I need to pray with my life group leader. I want to pray over my life group leader. They pray over me every week. I want to take them up. I'm going to take them by the hand, bring them up to the altar. I'm going to pray over my life group leader. Maybe there's someone in your group that you've had issues with, that you've had fights with, that you've had problems with, and you've had some conflict, and you need to say, why don't we just go pray together? We need to get past this or we're not going to grow. We need to get past this or, or things aren't going to get any better. We've got to work on this relationship. Maybe, um, <clears throat> maybe you just need to pray over your own commitment. Maybe you know, Ryan, I, I haven't been showing up. I haven't been committed. I've been letting other things get in the way. I've been putting other things in front of life group. I've been putting other things in front of my commitment to each other, my commitment to Jesus and community, and I need to step it up. And you just need to come up here and you need to pray to God, help me be strong. Or you need to grab someone and say, I need you to hold me accountable to being at life group for the rest of the year. We got five weeks left. Hold me accountable and you want to pray together. Whatever it is, I want you to spend some time in prayer over your life group. Maybe that's all you do. You just get up here and you say, Lord, I pray, I, play, I pray for honesty in our life group. I pray for community in our life group. I pray um, for commitment in our life group. Whatever it is, whatever stuck out to you, I want you to respond in prayer to God.